You are listening to Behind the Horse's Eyes on the Illiterate Podcast Network. So something a little different today. I figured I'd go through some of my comments on social media and either comment on them or reply. So uh, a little commenting on comments, I guess. And these are going to be in no particular order or anything like that. Or I thought one was better than the other. I honestly get so many comments that this is just me going through and uh, just basically hitting the highlights, people. So if you made a comment and it got a bunch of likes and I, I missed it, I'm sorry. I really am. It. You know, it's just going to be luck of the draw, okay? Alright, so right off the gate, if you send me a question like, Hey, if I send you a picture of my horse's registration, uh, can you tell me anything about my horse? Usually the answer to that is no. Stop. I don't have this endless knowledge like wrapped up in the back of my mind that I can just spew out anytime I want. I have to research all these horses that, you know, I make videos on and stuff, so... When you send me your papers or something like that, depending on the breed, it's all Greek to me. And the best advice I can give you is I can't tell you anything that your registry can't, okay? You can go to your registry, especially if you've got a quarter horse or something, or you've got a large, very active registry. You can get all the information you want. In fact, I even think some of the horses, when you your registry pops up online and you have your pedigree there, you can even click on some of the horses if they're significant horses, especially if they're like, you know, AQHA Hall of Famers or something. So, yeah, guys, I'm, I'm telling you, sending me your horse's papers, I'm not going to do anything that you're not going to have to do. So do the lead work. It's worth it. couple hours, and uh, you'll know everything you need to know about your horse, all right? So in my video, what horse I think should be the national horse of the United States, uh, ooh, I think it's Carity Robbins, said we have an official horse, the AQHA. Well, the AQHA is an association, not a horse. The AQH is a horse, the American Quarter Horse. And yes, the American Quarter Horse Association uses the slogan, America's Horse. That is their slogan. That is not actually fact. We, we do not have a national horse. Um, they use that as their slogan. I even think uh, the Saddlebred Association or whatever um, toys around with something similar. So, yeah. You, mm, guys, that's not... <laughs> we do not have a national horse here in the United States. Um, and, you know, that, that, that actual whole video, that whole comment section was fun. I set the parameters for what I would like to see. Everyone ignored them. But, you know, that was fine. And um, I got some, some pretty neat answers there. Some that I didn't even think of. But uh, ultimately, if you watch the video, um, I say I think the Morgan should be the uh, national horse of the United States. And I, I go through why I think so. 
there were some horses that were thrown out of left field that definitely did not meet the uh, the parameters that were set. But uh, but no, the the American Quarter Horse is not the national horse of the uh, United States, even though their slogan is America's Horse. So Starfruit46 says, I need to thank you for sharing the story of Golden Cloud. Loved it. Again, thank you. So this was a video that did really, really well. I actually didn't expect it to. And Golden Cloud is actually Trigger, Roy Rogers' horse. But Roy would actually have several horses through the years that would play the role of Trigger. And the actual original Trigger was out of a grade mare and a thoroughbred. And I got a lot of heat when I said that on that video because a lot of people were going, no, 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 Trigger's a Tennessee walker. I know for a fact, Trigger's a Tennessee walker. Well, there's another horse called Trigger Jr. That was a Tennessee walker. No relation to Trigger. In fact, Trigger remained a stallion his entire life. He was intact, yet he was not allowed to breed because Roy figured that it would ruin his temperament if he was ever allowed to breed. So he kept him away from mares. So with that said, Trigger Jr. had nothing in common with Trigger other than the name. So, yeah, they, you know, it gets thrown around there a lot. You know, some people, they drop the Jr. and articles get written and, and so on and so forth. But the reality is, is that the the mare to Golden Cloud, or Trigger, the original Trigger, um was a, a grade mare uh, that was Palomino in color, and the stallion was a thoroughbred. So, cow, and a word I won't say, 10, on a video that I did, just it was a reply on a, uh, I had made, a video reply, excuse me, I had made on a video about gatekeeping Western culture, that said that, yeah, that's all we run here are roper heels. And why do you ride so far back? And what they're talking about is the shiny spot I have on my, my old boots um, from riding aluminum stirrups. Um, and I don't. I, I do ride properly on the balls of my feet. Um, and where the, the rub actually shows up on my boot is where the back part, where the very back edge of the side of the stirrup rubs on, on my boot because the actual welt of my boot protects the rest of my boot. You know, it hangs out farther than the than the rest of the leather of the boot. Um, and where it gets, uh, where the welt thins down uh, toward the arch of your foot um, is where I get a rub sometimes on the inside because sometimes I'll cock my feet a little bit with my heels kind of in, my toes kind of out, you know, and up. Um, so it kind of gives the illusion that um, I'm riding on the on the arch of my foot, but I'm not. I'm actually on the balls of my feet. Not only that, but these boots are about a half size too big too, um, which is fine. You know, I wear them in winter when I've got thick socks on, but that's that's why that rub is in that location. It's not that I'm I'm not riding on the balls of my feet. It's just I am riding on the balls of my feet. It's just that part of my boot at the balls of my feet, the welt on either side of the boot protects the leather from getting rubbed. So C.H. Schmidt says, check out the documentary True Appaloosa. It makes the argument that the Nez Pierce horse came across the land bridge and were here before the Spanish. And that was from a reply that I had actually done uh, on the what breed should be, you know, the United States' breed. 
And there are a lot of arguments out there that say, no, the Spanish did not reintroduce horses to North America. There are stories, uh, you know, from Native Americans that say that, you know, there were horses and so on and so forth. And usually what I got to say about that is the fossil record does not back that up. Now, that's not saying that it isn't true, but there's no scientific data really in place to to say that that is actually a fact. Now, you can argue anything all you want with the parameters that you set, and I'm all for it. Bring on the argument. Tell, tell me why you feel that way. But the reality is, is the, the science really isn't there. Now, you will find a lot of websites um, that will point to uh, Spanish explorers saying that in 14-whatever or 15-whatever that they, in North Carolina, that they saw tribal people on horses. It's this the only account, and we're not even sure if those horses were from a previous expedition because they like to say, well, the Spanish kept really good records and this, that, and the other. Well, if you lost two horses, that's the last thing you want to write down as an expenditure when you're headed back is, crap, we lost two horses. Um, so, if that story is even true, I, I doubt anybody would have recorded two horses lost. They might have to say, hey, two horses died. And there are accounts of the Spanish releasing their horses when they reached land and they were headed back home. Uh, so they wouldn't have to feed them again on the way home. Then you have the argument for the genetic traits uh, with the horses that come from North America. Well, technically, every horse in the world will have that same genetic marker because what science has told us is that horses actually evolved in North America, went across the land bridge, and then eventually died out around the end of the last ice age here in North America, along with every other you know large mammal at that point in time. And though, like I said before, we have native stories about something that resembles an equine and paintings and an art, we also have things like wendigos and all kinds of mythical animals and beasts. And then most of the art that we have found that we're able to date are post-Columbian. So that would tell us, you know, post-Spanish intervention into North America. Long story short, there are more rational arguments against them being here than there are rational arguments for them being here. Now, that's not saying they weren't. That's just saying where we're at right now, it, it doesn't look like they were. That could change tomorrow. Uh, you know, that's the great thing about science and archaeology and anthropology is that it's ever-evolving once we get new data. We just don't really have that data right now. So the Saddle Effing Tramp, that's his actual name, uh, commented on a video I did. It was a reply video I did on Western culture. And he says, I cowboyed down here in South Texas and buckarooed in northern Nevada. The handiest SOB I ever met only wore ball caps. And that's true. Some of the handiest people I've ever met, that's all they wear is ball caps too. Um, I mean, we, we you always... You always seem to judge people by what you see them wearing and not what they're actually doing. What's between their ears and what's in their heart. And it generally has more to do with the folks that are on the outside of the actual working industry 
are usually the quickest to make those judgments. And I'm not picking on you guys, but you have this connotation in your or definition in your mind of what we're supposed to look like. And the reality is, is we're all different. Depending on where we live, how we live, and what we do, we're all completely different. All right, so user within the long numbers, no reason to get into it. I'm so old, I still wear square-toed Lucases. I never thought square-toed Lucases. Ah, can't even talk. Never thought square-toed Lucases went out of fashion. I mean, I know the vintage look or whatever is in right now um, for the the fashion folks, but uh, I mean, I don't. I own a couple of pair of round-toe um, boots. The, the majority of my higher-end boots are they're all uh, they're all square-toe. And bought in the last, I don't know, five years or so. You keep doing you, boo. Don't listen to anybody else. So London Newsom, on the video I did about gatekeeping Western culture, said, Thank you, sir. Thank you for your message. You remind me of Gene Autry with the way you spoke. Uh, so first of all, that is a huge compliment. Second of all, I am nowhere near Gene Autry level. Gene Autry is personal hero and i think anyone that is in the horse industry in in media or content holds someone like gene autry at a high level uh gene autry you know was a singer a horseman a television star um and a speaker and was good at all of them and i am nowhere near at that level but i will accept that compliment and I uh, don't know what to do with it, but I will accept the compliment and say thank you. I, I really appreciate it. So on my video about what horse should be America's horse, there's a there's a lot of uh, comments on that one. Um, bon Bon, I think it's Bon Bon Thiepy. Anyway, she says it shouldn't be the Mustang. I could do a video explaining why. But they're not part of American history, but rather a problem American history creates. And that is an amazing statement. And I'll explain exactly what she's talking about here. The Mustang itself, as we know the Mustang today, nobody for quite a while really cared about. You know, the Mustang is a feral horse. That is a once domesticated animal that has either escaped or was intentionally turned out and turned feral. They're not wild. Um, for something to be wild, that would mean that it would be native and is part of that natural ecosystem. And Mustangs are not. Have they adapted? Yes. Do they thrive? Yes and no. Isolated herd pockets have problems with inbreeding and disease and starvation and... It can get pretty ugly sometimes. So, throughout the history of the feral horses, especially in the western part of the United States, nobody really thought much of them other than a few native tribes or a few ranchers just looking for something as brood stock. Um, yeah, they, they, they learned to be tough. It was survival of the fittest, so only the best made it to an extent. But outside of that, they weren't desired or really cared about the some of them are the leftovers of the u.s army remount service um you know some of them retain a lot of spanish lines um 
some of them are predominantly ranch horse um, that's been turned out on the range for who knows however many years. In fact, there wasn't even an organization set up for you to adopt them until like 1968, 69 or 70, somewhere around in there. It's off the top of my head. I could be wrong. Just looked it up. 1968. And even then, it was kind of a hard sell um, because it was you're you're taking on something with the sole purpose of trying to either turn it into a pleasure horse or, or something. In the beginning, nobody looked at them and said, hey, I'm going to turn this into a rainer or I'm going to turn this into whatever type of performance sport horse. Um, they weren't looked at it that way. Um, they were looked at for the person that just wanted to feel good about something and they could adopt one of the excess horses that really needed to be pulled off of the range uh, and give it a good home. And though I don't 100% agree with the BLM, I'm not a big fan of government as a whole, but I, I do have my problems with the BLM, but I also understand where the BLM is at. They inherited this problem. This was not something that they come about or at their inception that they were going to do. Like, the, the BLM's inception had nothing to do with wild horses, feral horses, whatever you want to call them. I say feral because that's what they are. The Bureau of Land Management's actual job is just to sustain public lands for public use. And a lot of people get that misconstrued when they see ranchers being able to lease public lands and this, that, and the other. Well, if it's public lands that people aren't camping on or don't have easy access to, then, yeah, ranchers can lease that land. And then they want to get upset and go, well, if ranchers can lease that land, that's land the Mustangs could be on and this, that, and the other. And you got to think, the Mustang was not in the equation when we set aside public lands. They turned into a problem for those public lands. So that's why we have to thin them out. We also have deer and elk and bighorn sheep and moose and all kind of other stuff in areas where these mustangs are that are all competing for the same food and water sources. And so you've got to find a happy medium. Though the mustang is protected, you've got to find the happy medium between a, a breedable herd of mustang and not going to screw up the natural habitat for native species. And if you've got one water source in an area and the elk can't drink there because the mustangs are there and they're running the elk off, I'm sorry, the mustangs have got to go because the elk were there first. They're actually a native part of that ecosystem. And this is not me hating on Mustangs. I love Mustangs. And Mustangs should always exist in a manageable number. And when people always say, hey, leave the Mustangs alone. They're fine. They'll do just fine without our intervention. I always invite them to research the Cumberland Island horse. And how that population there on, in that isolated spot is doing. That area can handle a small number of feral horses on Cumberland Island. What has happened is they have inbred. They have all sorts of defects. They have a very short lifespan if they even live past weaning. Um, they're all emaciated. They're, they're smaller than what they used to be genetically. And they are choking out every native species on that island. There aren't any large predators there 
to be able to take care of it. And I've had people tell me, well, you know, if humans hadn't, you know, thinned out all the predators out west, that population of Mustangs would be taken care of. Well, that's not really here or there. Because I still don't think there's enough predators out there to deal with an animal that large. Or that powerful. And even if they are capable of taking care of that, it doesn't matter if years ago they were hunted near extinction or not. The point is, is the predators are not there, so someone's got to step in and do something. And again, this was all dumped in the BLM's lap. They had no idea how to deal with this, and and they're going about it the best way they can with very little funding, and I I get that part. I, I completely get that part. I don't always like their practices, but I get it. And I always tell people, if you care that much, go adopt one. You know, the prices just went up, and they're, uh, it went from $25, I think, to $125, which is still a hell of a deal. If you've got a round corral that's got six-foot panels, go get one any age. If you don't, and you got something that's five-foot or whatever, you know, you can get a yearling. But, um, yeah, go go get one or four or however many you qualify for if it's that important to you. If it's not, and you just want to stand from across the street and yell your feelings, I'm sorry, I'm not listening. Alright, and the last one for today is from Ginger Cowboy 86 The video, same video, where I was going over what I thought should be uh, the United States' horse. He goes, The true American workhorse isn't a horse. George Washington himself raised mules. Talk about the critters that built America. And though that is true, mules did help build America, mules have always been there. Mules have existed for thousands of years. Uh, The hybrid between horse and donkey is not a new concept, especially not in the inception of the United States, nor is it something that is purely American. The mule has built so many civilizations, I, I honestly could not count. And I would rather not do the typical American thing and steal somebody else's thunder and make it my own. So the mule was likely invented um, in ancient times in what we would call today Turkey. Uh, And in fact, at around 3000 BCE, um, mules are all over Egypt and are, are very common, actually. And to go a step further, even Homer mentioned mules um, in the Iliad in the, the year 800 BCE. And mules are even mentioned in the Bible, and Christopher Columbus even brought mules with him to the New World. So the, the mule is not a purely uh, United States thing. The, the, the mule itself is honestly a, a worldwide thing. It is the probably, excuse me, it is probably the first um, hybrid mammal that uh, was man-made. And you are 100% right. George Washington is known as the father of the American mule. And he had, I think he had 57 or something of them. He honestly preferred mules over horses and donkeys. Though he would ride a horse in a lot of his battles, he had mules at Mount Vernon. He also pushed for mules to be pack animals 
for bringing in supplies during the American Revolution over horses. With that said, George Washington really didn't do anything any different than the Egyptians would have done, you know, 4,000 years before, or 5,000 years, wherever my math is at. And if you really want to talk about the people who could really stake claim to the mule, is look at the people in the Middle East, especially places, you know, that are a little more Asian than others, like Afghanistan, where mules have been there for thousands of years and are still being used today in the same role. And though we have a unique history with the mule, and I own a mule, I I absolutely love mules, it's not uniquely ours. The The thing with mules is, even to this day, the I think the United States Army and the United States Marine Corps still have a manual on packing horses and mules. And I think the Marine Corps out in the western part of the United States has a school on um, on how to do that. So with all that said, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I might crank out a couple of these from time to time. I apologize for my voice. I have been a little under the weather. Um, I'm losing my mind because I can't go back to work right now because I've been running a fever and this, that, and the other. No, it is not COVID. Um, It's something that feels just like COVID, but it is not. It's kind of viral upper respiratory infection, but I'm I'm doing okay. I'm, 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 I'm getting through it. But I appreciate everybody listening. If you've got a topic you want me to talk about, feel free to contact me either through my social media or through my email. Um, You can go to the website of this podcast down below, and uh, you can leave comments there. They'll come straight to me in my email. You can find me on TikTok at jryanchastain, where you can see all of these videos. I've got some really cool content that's coming up. We're about to hit 50,000 followers over there, and when we do, I've got something special in mind for you guys. In March, you can find me at the uh, South Carolina Governor's School of Agriculture. There's going to be a fun show there that day. It's going to be me and a few other people that I've interviewed uh, on the show. We're going to be hanging out, showing our horses. It'll be a fun, relaxing day. Come by, say hi, and... uh, probably have some free stuff to hand out again thank you guys for listening and remember you probably left the water on it